have a dream. All of us are born with dreams. We have dreams in our life. Maybe it's a dream to get married, marry that perfect person, and walk down the aisle, and and you know have you know you know the the ideal wedding with all of our family and friends there, and you know all that stuff. And, and maybe it's like, man, I'm going to school, get my degree, I'm going to have this career, and this is what I'm going to do with my career. I'm going to kick butt and take names, and you know I'm going to do this in my career. I'm going to rise to the top of my game. Age 45, I'm going to be a multimillionaire. By age 50, I'm going to retire. Um, financially, say, you know what, that's the deal. Is I, I'm just going to make as much money as I can, and I'm going to bless as many people. Maybe that, I'm going to make as much money as I can. I'm going to bless as many people as I can, and I'm just going to continue to do that. Uh, you know, I'm going to have, you know, 2.3 kids, because that's the average kids in, in America. I'm going to have 2.3 kids, and and we're just gonna, and we're, the kids are going to grow up, and our kids are going to be perfect, and they're going to they're going to be doctors and lawyers, and they're going to do all this stuff, and you know we're gonna we're gonna live to be a hundred years old, if not more. Um, you know we don't expect any of that health stuff. And we have this hope, and and we, we plan on that, and 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 we say this is what we want it to happen, but all of a sudden something happens, and there's a threat. Um, the marriage we thought was going to be ideal ends up not being ideal or we can't find somebody to have that ideal marriage with because there's nobody left, it seems like. Uh, the career, we thought we had this incredible career and we're making all kinds of great money, and all of a sudden the economy goes south. And now, uh, you know, just you know, if we can just get food uh, to eat every week, it'd be, it would be incredible. Um, my kids, you know, we tried to have kids, we couldn't have kids, we lost our kids. Um, our kids, we had kids, now they just turned out, they're a mess. Uh, they're, the things they're doing, I, I don't know why, we did everything right, and I, I don't know, the kids aren't the kids I thought they were going to be. You know, my health at you know, age 20, age 30, I didn't think I was going to be having the health issues that I thought. At age 40, at age 50, I didn't think I was going to be having this type of stuff going on in my life, at age, you know, whatever it is. And so we have this threat. And when that comes, and when that time comes that we've been talking about, when your dream, the things that you thought God should show up for, the way that you thought God should be, the idea of what you thought God would do in your life, your ideal dream, when your dream is shattered, you can either choose to trust or you can choose to kind of control the situation. You can control, you can, you can, you can choose to surrender or you can choose to manipulate the situation. Or you can choose to wait or you can try yourself to push forward, which we're going to talk about today. A couple weeks ago, we talked about David. David chose control. And we said that when we assume that God must think and feel as we do, it leads to us to try to control the outcome. Because we think, well, God must think and feel I do, so I'm going to try to control this, and we can't control it. And when we do that, we are so many times tempted to abandon our God-given values for our God-given dreams, just like David did. He was anointed king, and he, some threats came against him from Saul, and he took off and tried to manipulate the situation by lying and manipulating he abandoned God-given principles by lying and manipulating to try to receive the blessings of God. And you in your life, you can try to control and manipulate and maintain, but you know that we can't manipulate and, and maintain those things which we can't control and maintain. It's impossible to do. Last week, we looked at Joseph. He chose trust. And Joseph... He responded, what we, the big thing that we said last week, he responded in the situation with all the stuff that happened to him, you know, left for dead, thrown in a, thrown in a, in a, in a pit, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, all these things that happened that, you know, if, and kept saying that God is with him. And again, I said, if, if that was me, I would say, God, go be with somebody else. 
because when you're with me, it seems like I keep getting into trouble. Things keep happening to me. Go be with my brothers. We talked about that. If this is God, if you're for me, I don't know who would be against me with this thing, but go. But that's not what Joseph did. Joseph chose trust. And he, we said that he was, what would Joseph do in this situation? He would do what anybody would do that was confident that God was with him. And my, and my challenge to you last week was how do you go out this week and live your life confident that God is with you in your, cir- in your circumstances? And one of the things that I want, through this whole series that we're talking about, one of the things I want to help you see in this series is this. There is an undeniable relationship between crisis and hope. Between waiting and hopefully being transformed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says it like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the poor? Really? Blessed are the poor? Blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are the the actual poor? Why? Why are they blessed? It doesn't seem like they're blessed. Well, because it seems like that when you're in need, when you don't know where your next lunch is coming from, when, 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 you're, when you're hurting, um, it, it, when, it, when, when it's difficulty upon difficulty upon difficulty, it seems like we have a tendency to want to seek the Lord and find Him at that point, isn't it? When, when, when the wheels come off, that, when we're poor, that's kind of when it seems like we're, we're looking for the Lord. Because, you know, honestly, when, when is it easier to fall on your face in, in, in humility and cry out to God? When, when, when everything is working well, let's just be honest. Let's, isn't, it, isn't it rare? Isn't it a rare thing for um, everything to go well and we're sitting at the dinner table? Maybe we got a good wine, good food, good friends. Got money in the bank. Our, our children are behaving. They're actually getting along with each other. We're getting along with our spouse. And all of a sudden, we're overwhelmed with gratitude for God. Oh, God! Oh, oh God, I lay down before you. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for my family. I cry out to you, God. Praise you, oh, God. I lay before you flattened, overwhelmed with joy. Thank you, bless this meal to the nourishment of our body. Bless these friends and the hands that made this food. Amen. Praise you, almighty God. Thank you. We don't do that, do we? I would like to see it if we did. Uh, Most of the time, aren't we just by default going, that's kind of what I expected. You know, that's what I expect. I had this coming to me. Yeah, I worked hard for this food. I work, you know, I work hard in my marriage. You know, I give, try to make my kids, you know. I worked hard for it. It's coming to me. But if you let it go dark, if you let it go bad, if we find out that we have need, man, we get on our face in a hurry, don't we, if you're a Christ follower? Well, God, why? Why, God, why? Help me. Oh, God. Turn to John chapter 11 with me, would you please? <coughs> We've talked about this story before, and this is one of my favorite stories. And I'm going to kind of come at it from a different aspect a little bit. Um, 
But there are a few stories that I think that clearly teach this principle. And what we're going to be talking about today is this word that you guys aren't going to like. Because I don't like this word. But the key word today, you can write this down somewhere really, really, really big if you want to. The big key word today is waiting. Waiting. And this story teaches the principle of waiting. This story is told in John chapter 11. It begins in the town of Bethany. And this is where Lazarus lived with his sisters, Mary and Martha. The same Mary and Martha that was there with Jesus all the time. The same Mary that, you know, put oil on Jesus' feet and washed it with her hair. And the same Martha that was running around trying to do all the work. The same Mary and Martha. This is the exact same Mary and Martha. And Jesus is well acquainted with his family. In fact, they're very dear friends. And their house has kind of been the second home. It's been a home away from home for Jesus and his disciples. And they come through this area. This is where they hang out. This is where they stay. It's kind of like one of their places that they, that they call home. And, and Jesus, at this point, he's far away from Bethany where the story begins. It says that he traveled across the Jordan. In, Jan, in John chapter 10, verse 40, it says he traveled across the Jordan. And what he was doing, he was getting away from these religious authorities who are trying to arrest him and stone him and kill him. They, they're just trying to get him. And so he gets away from this area. But while Jesus is doing his work across the Jordan, he gets some bad news. And we pick up the story here in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. This was Jesus' very dear friend. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus ran right away. Nope. Jesus said this, the sickness will not end in his death. No, it is for God's glory so, this, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You know, the disciples are thinking, okay, Jesus, he's God, he knows. Lazarus has a cold. He's going to be fine. He's, Jesus knows. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, if you get news that a very dear person, dear friend of yours, relative, somebody that you're really close to is sick and very sick, would you stay where you are for two more days? Most of us, you would, you would be over there, you'd get a plane ticket, a bus ticket, you'd do whatever you could to get back to wherever they were. But it says, Jesus stayed two more days, and this seems a little bit weird to me. Not only does Jesus stay where he was for two more days, but he actually says it has a purpose, and that it's actually for God's glory. And here's where I get to that. Sometimes God gets glory through our shattered dreams. Do you realize that? We have these dreams, and they get shattered. Sometimes God gets glory to it. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that the very platform that, that you despise, the platform that may have caused you ruin in your, life, in your life, may be the very platform that God uses to lead people to Him. May be the very platform that God uses to bring Himself glory. Um, and the plan, A, that Mary and Martha won, was that as soon as Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, He'll come running. I know he will because he loves Lazarus. I know he'll come. And Mary and Martha, they're thinking, Jesus will be here any minute because Jesus can help. We know he can. He will come. But Jesus doesn't come. He doesn't show up. And, and it seems like we love the idea of following Jesus, right? 
until it disrupts our plans and our dreams. When it disrupts our plans and dreams, we're like going, I thought this was God's plan, or it must not be God's plan, but God got it wrong. Or, you know, this is what, you know, whatever it is, but we love following until it disrupts our dreams. And you felt that frustration in your life, haven't you? God, I need you to help me. You know, I promise God, if you help me, I'll start reading the Bible again. I promise I won't drift away from you again. I'll be a missionary. Whatever. Just help me, God. Help me, help me, help me. And nothing happens. And we saw the exact same thing, Joseph. Here he is. He's stuck in prison. Nothing changes. Nothing gets better. If God is doing something, uh, if you can't tell because nothing's happening. It's like you take that same dang prayer request. You, have, you know what it is. You have this prayer request. And it's the same one you have every day. And you take that same request to your small group, your Sunday school, your prayer group. And you take it every week. Even they, They're tired of even of hearing about it. And they're getting ready to do prayer requests in your small group or at church. And before you even, you know, they have the request written down before you even say anything because they know it's coming. Because you have that same prayer and you want God to answer it and he's not showing up in that. And still, you wait. And you pray, and you wait, and you pray, and you wait. And nothing seems to change. And I believe waiting has never been a popular pastime. Anybody like waiting? I mean, really? I mean, I, 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 I mean it's never been a popular pastime in our culture. And, making, and it's becoming worse in our, in our life. And, and we live in the day of fast this and fast that and instant this. And, and waiting is just a big frustration. I don't like to wait on hold. I don't want to listen to, you know, I don't want to be sitting there listening to some music. I, 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 I want to talk to somebody now. Remember the old internet, you know? Ding, 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 ding. And you're lucky if you collected at 14, four, whatever it was, 14, four, you know, speed. And that was like cooking. But now, if we turn our internet on, we're like, oh, jeez. Why does it take... That took three seconds. What is up with that? And we'll be like, load, would you load, load? I remember the first time, you know, rendering a movie. It would take, like, you'd leave the machine and come back five days later. You know, I'm like, like 20 minutes now, I'm going, oh, could this thing just hurry up? We don't like waiting. We, 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 we hate it. And you know what I found out about this? It's a little side note. It's McDonald's fault. <laughs> it is. Because if you read about the story of McDonald's, they were uh, they started the fast food franchise. This thing you come through, and it was so funny because people said people aren't going to want that because people are going to want to come in and sit, have a meal. They like uh, eating is is something families enjoy doing together. And Ray Kroc said, "No, I think people should come in and get their food and get out." The whole fast food thing, and it changed. It said it revolutionized not only the fast food industry but a lot of other industries as well because of that process where he adopted a similar one. So just so you know, next time you, it's McDonald's fault. Please don't sue me, McDonald's. That's, uh, I don't have any money for you anyway. But anyway, you know, I don't like standing in line at the bank. I don't like, I don't like standing in line at the post office. I don't like waiting in traffic. Uh, I will drive a half hour longer. See, he knows where I'm going. I may have to wait in line. I may have to wait with my parking brake on or whatever for 15 minutes, but I'd rather drive a half hour longer because it seems like I'm doing something. I'm going someplace. I'm not waiting. 
And some of you guys go, I, I hear it, yeah, because that's what we do, because we don't like to wait. And the thing is, I'm in a hurry, and God isn't. Because God looks at time as this, I'm looking at this, God's looking at, dude, it's forever. This, what, that's nothing. What I'm doing, it's nothing. You have no perspective on time. I'm in a hurry, and, and, and God isn't, because maybe there's something God is trying to produce in me and teach me in the process of that. Why do we hate waiting so much? Well, there may be many reasons why, but I think one of the biggest, for me, as I think about this, I think waiting makes us feel powerless. We don't feel like we have any power. Here's Lewis Smead uh, describes it this way. He's, a, he's an author. He says, here's what he said. And I'll preach this. He says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not of both. And, and I want you to know that Mary and Martha were not the only people left waiting in the Bible. Uh, and, and they weren't the only ones left waiting for God to act. The Bible is full of people who spent months, even years, or even decades waiting. Abraham and Sarah, you know, in Genesis chapter 11, they, w they wait forever, it seems like, for a child to come. Jacob waited, and not only waited, but he worked for Rachel to be his wife. Joseph waited a long time in prison. John the Baptist waited what seemed like an eternity for the Messiah to come, and then when he was put in jail, he waited to be rescued from prison. Noah waited 150 days for the floodwaters to recede. The Israelites, 40 years they waited in the desert to get to the promised land. And here's something you might not even thought about, but even Jesus had a time of waiting. Uh, there's this word that's used in the story of Jesus to rest. Uh, it's one that I never thought much about. It is, it is, it is the word, it is translated as to be handed over. Um, and Judas handed Jesus over. The remarkable thing about this word, it's, it's not only for, for, for Judas, but for God. And God, God, you understand this, that God did not spare Jesus, but handed him over to benefit all of us. And that's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It says that God handed him over. Not only did Jesus, Judas hand Jesus over, but the same word, God handed Jesus over. So this word, to be handed over, plays a central role in the life of Jesus, if you look at his life. You know, uh, indeed, in, the, in, the, in this drama of being handed over, it divides the life. If you look at when that is, when that happened, it divides the life of Jesus radically into two. You know, the first part of Jesus' life was all about his activity. You know, all the stuff he was doing. His, his teaching, his traveling, his taking initiative, his healing people, him doing things. That's what he did. But after he was handed over, he became the one to whom things were being done to. He's not doing anything anymore, but you know what he's doing? He's waiting. And it's in this waiting that he lives out his deepest and truest purpose. As he waits, even he gets impatient. He's in the garden praying. You know, he, he wants it. God, I'm, 
that's you know we would do this thing that, that, that you know that's kind of like the, the the tone you're gonna see just God let's get this thing done I, I don't I know it's your will not my will I understand that but I'm here praying and we and you know these guys are falling asleep over here and, and Jesus is waiting he's just waiting no more he, he no longer is doing and in Mary and Martha there is purpose for their waiting let's pick it up from verse seven. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went up to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps... He will get better. Well, yeah. You know, our mom, we'll get some sleep. You know, sleep, you'll feel better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, um, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, didn't say for Lazarus' sake, not for the sake of Mary and Martha, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. I'm like going, wait a minute, time out, time out. What did Jesus just say? He was glad he wasn't there for his good friend's death? Why in the world would he say something like that? And according to scriptures, it says, so that you may believe. So the disciples and our faith in him might be strengthened. And our hope in God will be renewed. That was the purpose, or at least part of it, in all this waiting. Because God wanted, because Jesus wanted God to do something incredible. And I, am, I, am, am I saying that God sends these trials, these, these hopeless situations into our lives, just so that we'll get our hope realigned with his hope? Am I saying that God does this so that you can get, no, no I'm not saying that at all. But here's what I am saying to you. That God will allow suffering. God will allow pain. God will allow crisis. And in order to detach hope from other things and attach it to himself. Because so many times in our life we attach hope to things other than God. And God allows things to happen in our lives so that we don't place hope in those other things, but we place hope in him and him alone. That is, if we will let him, if we will trust him, if we will let him work. And you've got to stop looking at your shattered dreams and your unmet expectations as something God is doing to you. He's not doing something to you, but he might be doing something through you. And he might, he might, just might be doing something in you. And we have to realize that. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of, of their brother. Now what this says, many Jews came. Basically, this is like the professional wailing team. Right? When somebody would die, uh, these Jewish women would get together, and they would go to whatever house it was, and they were the professional criers of the time. 
They were like, I don't know how many women there were, but they'd gather, and, ah, ah, and they'd weep and they'd wail with the, with the grieving person. And so they went to weep and wail, which I, I, that'd be driving me nuts, but they were there with Mary and Martha, and they were wailing and crying. It says many Jews were there, weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth, as I like to say, because they lost their brother. It's actually gnashing, not gnashing. I just like to say that, like, goodnight. Um, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. I think Mary stayed at home because she was grieved. She was hurt that Jesus didn't come. When Martha was kind of more of the outspoken, vocal one, Mary probably was like more of the, I'm hurt on the inside that Jesus didn't show up. And so here's, here's, here's Martha going to meet Jesus, and she's not going alone. All these wailing women are going with. So you can see her walking down the road. Jesus probably knew she was coming from. Martha, you know, because they're, they're coming down the road. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, and it's just the tone in Martha's voice. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You probably said something like that, haven't you? God, if you'd been there, this wouldn't have happened. And all your friends around you, they jump on the bandwagon with you. God, where were you? Why, God? I've been faithful. I've been obedient. I've done what I was supposed to do. Where were you? Why didn't you show up? We talked last week. Maybe you're haunted by an idea that God could have done something, and he didn't. You, and, you know, God could have done something. He could have done something, but he didn't do it. I know you could have saved my marriage, but you didn't do it. I know you could have gotten me that promotion, but you didn't do it. I know you could have healed my child, but you didn't. I know you could help make us pregnant today, but you haven't. I know you could have done something, God, but you didn't. Why, God? Why? Notice, what's interesting about this passage is that Martha is not doubting God's power. You know what she's doing? She's questioning his timing. She's ticked off because he didn't show up when she wanted him to show up. That's worth nothing because I believe often that's our issue too. You know, we believe God but we're as ticked off because he didn't show up when we thought he should have shown up. The question isn't, can you trust God? Of course you can trust God. The question is, can you wait? Will you wait? Will you continue to hope in him even when the timing seems to be off? Hope does not come only from believing God's power, but also accepting and trusting his timing. I'm just telling you, that's hard to do. We want his power, we want his comfort, but we often don't want his calendar. We want him to show up when we want him to show up in the way we want him to show up. I said this last week. God is more concerned, more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more interested in your character than he is your circumstances. 
And here's this thing about spiritual transformation, because this is what this is. Spiritual transformation doesn't take place when we get what we want. It takes place while we're waiting. It takes place in the desert place, when we feel like God isn't there. That's when spiritual transformation takes hold. And that's what it is, what, that's what it is forged while we're waiting, while we're, while we're hoping, while we're trusting. Even though we have not yet received what we long for yet, our spirit is being transformed. You know, we call it a desert experience. I take John of the Cross, called it a dark night of the soul. These things that we go through, we feel like, God, where are you? Why aren't you there? Let's pick it up, verse 22. This is Martha. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Even though you haven't acted the way that I expected, she's saying, you're still God. You're powerful, I'm not. You're all-knowing, and I'm not. You're God, and I'm not. She's, she's showing the trust that is key to spiritual transformation. In verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 35, it says that Jesus was moved. Shortest verse in the Bible. You guys can all remember this. John eleven thirty-five. 35. Jesus wept. It says he was moved. Then it says this again. Jesus, later on it says, Jesus was moved once again. Here's what it says, verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, the people that were standing around him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary <laughs> had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. Because they were Jewish women. They were waiting for the Messiah. They really didn't, they weren't really Christ followers at this point. They saw what Jesus did, and all of a sudden they go, he must be the one. And if Jesus wouldn't have done that, if he would have just stayed in Bethany and said, Lazarus, be, help, be well, he could have done that. Well, it would have been a big deal. They wouldn't have done it. But can you imagine? Can you imagine showing up, the funeral is over, the guy is buried. He's been buried for four days. Jesus showing up, saying, come out. The casket opens up, the guy walks out. Can you imagine? What would you do? Besides freaking out. I mean, wow, that guy. There's something. Wow. That, that's amazing. That, that, that's amazing. This is a powerful, powerful story reminding us this. We should never, ever give up hoping. Even if we think our dream is dead, even if we think our dream is shattered, never, ever give up. We worship a God who specializes in resurrection. He specializes in hopeless situations. I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories this week about marriages that seemed hopeless, that were resurrected. We have a God who specializes in resurrection. When life isn't turning out the way that you had hoped, 
and you're waiting and you're longing and you feel like God has abandoned you. God wants you to find your hope in Him. If you're in the midst of a waiting for a miracle to happen and you're, you're waiting for that dream to be realized, you, you probably feel helpless. You feel like you're doing nothing. But you're not doing anything, not at all. That's not the point. In fact, this waiting that you're in may be the most important thing you can and that you need to do. What you're going to do is you're going to allow your hope to grow up. And if you can't be still and wait and hope, even when you have no reason to have no reason to hope, you can't become the person God has created you to be when he's brought you into existence. You have to have that hope. You have to wait with hope. You have to allow the hope to grow up inside of you. So there's something that God wants to mature, something that God needs to produce in you yet. I think of David, an amazing man. And if you look through the Psalms, just read through the Psalms. It seems to me when I'm reading them, it seems like it's just a series of plan Bs. Because all these things, I got I want this, I got God, God, but God, you did this and this and this and this. It just seems like God is just, just like with David's writing this, it just seems like, God, this is what my plan was, but this is what your plan was, and it's a much better plan. I just love reading through the Psalms with that whole fresh thing. And as we close today, what I want you to do, we're going to do a couple things. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read you a verse in, out of Psalm 62. And I want you just to close your eyes. And I just, I'm going to read this a couple times. And I just want you to allow this verse, this one verse, to sink in. Because it's an incredible word picture. So just close your eyes and just listen. I find rest in God only He gives me hope. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defender. And I will not be deceived. I find rest in God. Only He gives me hope. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defender. And I will not be deceived. salvation. He is my defender and I will not be defeated. I love the word picture that goes along with the scripture. I picture myself frustrated, angry, tired, stressed, confused, and exhausted. Simply collapsing in the arms of my Heavenly Father. And you may need just to do that today. Just to collapse in His arms. And that to allow him to fill you with his comfort. Relax and allow him to be your rock and fortress during this uncertain time. Rest in him while you're waiting. And let him be your hope. One thing I want to talk about this scripture, and I often talk about, and I talk about this Lazarus generation. Because some of you here today, I know definitely some 
of people from this king's court. Maybe you don't feel like you're the one like the Mary or Martha, but maybe you feel more like Lazarus, that your hope has died and you're laying there and and the whole life that you thought that you were going to have is gone. Your life is not over. Your life is not junk. God is a God of resurrection. God lives in the impossible. God lives in the shattered dreams and the shattered lives. And if you're laying there in the grave, wrapped in your grave clothes, God is saying to you, come out! Come out! I have a hope. I have a plan. I have a purpose for your life. And he's calling you today from that place where you gave up, where you gave up on God, or maybe you've never trusted God, or you've never known him. He's calling you today to come out. Grave clothes and all. Smell and all. Problems and all. Addictions and all. Messed up marriages, messed up finances, messed up kids and all. He's calling you, come out. For I am the Lord your God. And I have a plan for your life. I am the God of resurrection. I live in that. And I love you. If that's you today, I want you just to stand. Just say, you know what? I need to be resurrected today. I'm going to ask you bold. I'm just going to have you stand. And if you're not comfortable doing it, that's fine. But maybe you're just saying, you know, I need to, I need to do this today for myself. I just need to stand, right? Right? I need, I need that resurrection power in my life. something in their life it may not be what they expected but you call in that moment for us to come in our problems in our brokenness in our troubles and all Lord I pray that we have the guts to do that and give it to you and say God I love you and I'm confident that you are with me even in this I pray that you would restore marriages that you would restore parents to their position that you restore children Lord, that you would just show up in ways today that we need you to show up in our relationships, in our finances, in our marriages, in our addictions. 
to you. There are going to be people coming. People that you may not recognize, people that you don't even want to associate with. And this is the time. People are going to be coming. Worship team, come on up. People are going to be coming. They may not look like you. They may not sound like you. They're going to be coming in their grave clothes, like Lazarus. They're going to be coming because they're going to hear the word of hope. They're going to be hearing the word of this next generation. They're going to be hearing, there is, there is hope for me. I threw it all away. I thought I was dead, but I'm not because God has called me out. It's the Lazarus generation. I'm seeing it. Some of you are here and you're part of that. That you're coming in your brokenness, in your addictions, in your, in your messed up lives. And you're just coming and say, God, I don't know what this is all about, but I'm just coming to you. I've been broken and I'm coming. Here I am. We need to be ready for that. We, as the body of Christ, need to come alongside our brothers and sisters and comfort them, pray with them, be there for them. Feed, clothe, visit. All those things we need to do. The Lazarus generation is rising. Are we going to respond to it? I hope so. I hope so. Let's stand. We're going to sing the song, Sweetly Broken. And I'm just going to say, if you want to come down, you want to pray down here, our prayer team will be down here. If you just need somebody to pray with you this morning, uh, if you just need to come before God, you know what God has for you this morning. I'm just going to invite you to do that.